Good morning. Today's reading is from Isaiah 52, 1 through 6. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Lose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing. Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Thank you, Sherry. Good morning, Redemption Arcadia. Thank you for being here with us at the 9 a.m. service. You all are my favorite service. Don't tell the other services that. Uh, my name is Tyler Thompson. I'm the pastor of communities and worship here. So it means that I oversee our worship ministry and our, our small group ministry and uh, thankful to be a part of the preaching rotation as well. Uh, we get Isaiah's, Isaiah chapters 50 through 52.6 today. So that's like 47 verses or something like that. And so we're going to hit highlights. We're going to hit highlights um, super excited to be able to share this with you, though. I, I'm a big fan of Isaiah 53, and I realized in looking at 50 through 52 that I hadn't spent as much time in, in these chapters previously, um, but they've, this, these chapters have quickly become one of, some of my favorite chapters as well, just like you all are some of my favorite people. So this is, so this is good. Some of my favorite chapters with some of my favorite people, and uh, we're going to focus mainly on this word redeem. Uh, what does it look like to be a redeemed people of God? Uh, why do we need uh, redemption in the first place? It's the name of our church, redemption. Why do, why do we need to be redeemed? Uh, how do we get redeemed? Uh, who helps us to be redeemed? Who redeems us? These are all great questions that are posed directly by this text. And um, one of the things that I'm thankful for in the, the verbiage, the language that gets used in Isaiah, it's just very blunt and speaks uh, clearly to the ways that we tend to view God and our redemption. So we will jump right in. Um, Isaiah chapter 50, we'll start there with verse 1. And uh, it says this, Thus says the Lord, Where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you were sold, and for your transgressions your mother was sent away. Why then, when I came, was there no man? Why then, when I called, was there no one to answer? Is my hand shortened that it cannot redeem? Or have I no power to deliver? I love the opening of this chapter because it speaks to some of the questions that come to our mind when we go through hard times. The nation of Israel is... Uh, has gone through a history of hard times by this that time this chapter is re- written. And when we go through hard times, we, our mind tends to go to one of two places. We tend to go, on the one hand, to questioning that God is even with us any longer. God, why have you forsaken us? 
It goes, on the other hand, to the question of, is God actually powerful enough to save? And this opening uh, text speaks to both of those questions. Uh, The nation of Israel is questioning whether God is able to save them in their situation, and whether or not God has actually forsaken them in the first place. Yesterday, you should know this, many of our pastors uh, participated in, uh, pastors and staff here at Redemption Arcadia, participated in two funerals and one wedding. And as we were going through the day, I thought to myself, this is indicative of the fact that we are going to face suffering in this life. Uh, Yes, there are, as Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to celebrate, there's a time to mourn. Our men have been going through the book of Ecclesiastes and talking about that. But yesterday we had two opportunities to mourn and one opportunity to celebrate. And I was amazed at how God's presence was with us through the whole day. That even as we grieved together, as we wept together, as we celebrated together, there was an opportunity for God to walk with us through that. The nation of Israel, the people of Israel here, they have thought to themselves, uh, God has either forsaken us or he's not able to save us anymore. And right off the bat, I wonder if there are times that you've gone through that sort of a thing in your life where you've faced a situation or maybe you're facing a situation now where your suffering or your pain is, is significant enough to where you have thought, has God forsaken me? Uh, is God able to get me out of this situation? So it's no surprise that Israel is saying this. And God is addressing this initially in this chapter saying, where is your mother's certificate of divorce? In other words, that language of certificate of divorce, God is saying, if I had put you away, if I had abandoned you, if I had forsaken you, there would be some record of that divorce. And since there is no record of the divorce, you should know that this forsakenness has not happened. I have not abandoned you. There's no record of me putting your mother away. And the language of the creditors there, or which one of my creditors have I sold it to you, uh, God is saying, uh, I would have nothing to gain by putting you away. There's nothing that anybody could give me in exchange for you. And so God is right away here uh, calling to question that Israel Israel, uh, thinks that he's forsaken them and saying, I have not forsaken you, nor would I gain anything by putting you away. I wonder if we might take from that initially that God would say to us as his people that we would not be sold for anything, that we would not be abandoned by God. And if there's times that we are feeling that way with whatever it is that you might be going through, that we might recognize that God has been faithful to us even when we are unfaithful. And that's what happens next in verse 2. God says, why then was, why was there no one when I came? Why, why when I called was there no one to answer? This happens time and time again in Scripture, where God's people will be questioning his faithfulness, where God will turn it around and say, I have been faithful. How, how about you? Where, where have you been when I have called you? And he puts us in our right place in that moment. There's a mirror put up to us. It's sort of the, when there's one finger pointing, there's several pointing back at us moment in Scripture. And this happens time and time again in Scripture, where God indicates that we are the ones that have been unfaithful to Him. And so, God says, is my hand so short that it cannot redeem? I love the imagery of that. God saying that, can I somehow not reach far enough to save you? And that word redeem gets brought up there, which is one that we'll just talk about for one moment. The word redeem has to do with regaining 
or gaining or regaining possession of something in exchange for payment. In other words, it doesn't have to be that you're gaining it for the first time. It can be that you are regaining possession of something for payment. Uh, I think of it a little bit like a Target gift card, which I used yesterday. Somebody had given me a Target gift card. went to Target, and I, I incurred some uh, responsibility to pay for some things that I wanted to buy. I, I say I had, didn't have my wallet or any cash on me, and so I didn't have something to pay with it. Somebody else had given me a Target gift card, which then I was able to use. It was free to me, but it cost somebody else in order for this transaction, transaction to take place. There's a similar thing happening here where God's people are in need of being regained and they have incurred for themselves a separation and God is wanting to pay to regain his people. God is saying, I've never left you and rather you've been my possession this whole time, but I'm going to pay again to get you back. Uh, Scott Brown says it this way, Whenever men, by their own fault or through some superior power, have come under the control of someone else and have lost their freedom to implement their will and decisions, and when their own resources are inadequate to deal with the other power, they can regain their freedom only by the intervention of a third party. That is what redemption is. That we have as people by our own actions, lost our ability to act in freedom any longer, and we need a third party to come and regain our freedom for us. That's what's happened with the Israelites. That's what's happened with all of humanity, and that's what's happened with us. And so as we look at the rest of this passage, try to think on a couple of different levels. One, that the people of Israel are in need of this redemption, but two, that we, as we read this today, we find ourselves in a similar position where God has offered redemption to us so that he might regain possession of us. Think for a moment before we move on. How cool is it that God says, you've always been mine. I've never put you away. You were mine before, you're mine still, but I'm going to pay again for you because of the transgressions that you have committed. This is what God is doing here. It reminds me of the, the, the story in the scripture where Jacob works seven years for a wife. And then there's a, a, another power that comes in and says, no, no, you can't have this woman. And he works another seven years for the woman that he wanted to marry in the first place. This is that God has paid again for the, to regain possession of something that was already his. And if you are in Christ, that is you. You are a person that was God's in the first place because he chose you and he re re regained you by the possession of redemption. And we'll see this passage pointing to Christ who is able to deliver us. So God is going to say to his people, God is going to say, I am able to deliver on redemption for you for a number of reasons. So I've got a few lists here for you this morning. Let me give you this first list. God is able to deliver on redemption for his people because God is the Lord of creation. He says in, in chapter 50, verse 2, I dry up the sea with my rebuke. And several places in the scripture, this will be something that God claims that he is the Lord over all creation. In Romans 1, we see that uh, that he's known by everything he's made. In Psalm 119, we see that the heavens are telling of his glory. This is a theme in scripture where God is saying, I am Lord of this creation that I have made. And as a result, I'm able to save my creation. 
Uh, in 50 verse 4, it says, God enables wise speech. God has given me the tongue of disciples. God is able to deliver because he's able to give us even the words that are in our mouths. God is able to open our ears. In 50 verse 5, it says, the Lord God has opened my ears. Uh, this is a consistent theme in scripture as well, that God is able to uh, loosen the deaf ears, that God is able to give us ears to hear. Uh, in 50 verse 7, it says that God gives us strength for the Lord God helps me. And you should know as well that this uh, section of scripture is oftentimes called the, son, uh, the song of the suffering servant. And so these words here can be interpreted as Christ talking about the strength that the Father has given him to obey the Father's will. And we will also apply this to mean that God gives his people, his church, strength as well. In 57, it says that uh, the Lord God helps me. In 58, it says God vindicates his people. He is the one who vindicates me and he is near. So God says, I'm able to deliver on redemption for my people. After that, the next section of scripture talks about the statements that God has for those who are walking through suffering. So once I have established to, uh, once God has established to his people that he's able to save, he says, there's some ways that you might respond to suffering. Verse 10 in chapter 50 says this, who, who, is, who is among you that fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. This is sort of a simple statement of saying, if you are walking through suffering, if you are finding that you are in dark, darkness and have no light, if you are going through a difficult time, let you trust in the Lord and then in the name of the Lord. That seems like simple on its face, but as many of you in this room know, when you go through suffering, it becomes increasingly difficult to say, well, I know God is good, I know he's able to save, but I'm going to trust him in this situation. How many of you have ever had that disconnect where you know God is good, you know he can save, but you're walking through such a hard situation that you think, I don't know if God is going to do it at this time. Anybody? we got like two or three honest people, that's good. Appreciate, appreciate your honesty. Um, I, I thought it maybe it was just me, but I have a hard time sometimes trusting in the name of the Lord and relying on God in the middle of difficult situations. Um, yesterday in one of the services, uh, Frank said that in the middle of suffering, we oftentimes, we oftentimes ask, uh, try to do things that will help us get out of the suffering. And because of our own actions, we end up prolonging the suffering instead. And I think that's often the case for us. And we'll see that in this text too, that when we uh, try to just get out of our suffering, we oftentimes will do things that just cause the suffering to go even, even, even longer. Uh, Caitlin, during the announcements time, she talked about uh, the sand versus standing on the rock. And, and I just think of quicksand here, that, that if you struggle in quicksand, you sink even faster, is what they tell you. And so they tell you not to struggle in the midst of quicksand because you'll, you'll, you'll just prolong your suffering and make it even worse. That happens here in, in chapter 50, verse 11 as well, where it says, Behold all of you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with flaming arrows, walk in the light of your fire, and among the flaming arrows you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand, you will lie down in torment. Uh, what's God saying there? Is he saying that he wants his people to suffer? Well, no. What he's saying is that we oftentimes come up with our own devices of how we might get out of suffering. 
and that God wants us instead to rely on his hand rather than our own devices that we can come up with. Uh, Caitlin prayed during that, that prayer as well. Man, the worship time and, and Caitlin, the, like, they, were, they, were, they killed it in terms of just staying on point with what God's saying in the scripture. Uh, Caitlin prayed that, that, that we would, uh, we've tried everything else. We've tried to stand on every other uh, ground. And we recognize that his is the only ground that is going to work. And, and similarly, we think to ourselves, we've got all of these devices at our disposal. Our world is full of devices that we might turn to to get us out of suffering. But really, uh, God is the only foundation upon which we will be able to permanently and eternally remove suffering from our life. Uh, the, worship, the worship team also sang these words that, that God prov- provided then and God will provide now. That he's the same God. Uh, that same thought here is this, is that when we come through suffering, God will provide for us a way to walk through the suffering with him in a way that will be for his glory and, believe it or not, for our good, even through the midst of the suffering. The passage goes on to talk about how uh, God has already delivered redemption for his people. Sometimes God does this as well when he talks to his people, where he says, well, don't you remember all these things that I've already done for you? And we, we, we oftentimes forget, like we think, okay, God, we want the next thing that you're going to do for us. But God here uh, is reminding us of these things that he's already done for us. Uh, chapter 51, verse 1 says that God is the rock from which we were cut that in the midst of uh, suffering, we can sometimes feel like we're just a bunch of little pebbles floating around, being tossed around. But it's helpful to know that we were cut from the solid rock, that we were, we were cut from this God who is a firm foundation. Uh, God is the quarry from which we were dug. Uh, that sim- a similar analogy there as well, that we are actually come from the source of strength and foundation. We have Abraham as our father in, in chapter 51, verse 2. And we have Sarah as our mother in chapter 51, verse 2. That we have this tradition of this history of fathers and mothers of the faith that have provided for us uh, a continued foundation of security. Uh, the author of Hebrews will later on talk about that, about how we have this great cloud of witnesses that will help us to run, uh, that will help us to recall that God will enable us to run the race. Uh, God is able to comfort like Zion, and God, God is able to make us flourish like Eden. The, the drawback to Eden there, or the, the reference back to Eden, is that there is this foundational state of paradise that God will bring us to again at some in the future, sometime in the future. And so God says, I have delivered on this already, and I will continue to deliver on redemption. Here are the ways that God says he will deliver on redemption for his people in the future. 51.4 says that the law will go out from me. In other words, the, the way that the world is regulated or the way that God's people will live under his commandments will come from him as the source. 51.4 says that God will bring my justice as a light of the people. Uh, that's, a, that's a really uh, important and significant thought for us uh, today, that, that as we are looking for justice in this world, that the source of that justice comes from God, and that we don't want justice unless it comes from God as the source. 51.5 says that my righteousness is near. 51.5 says my salvation has gone forth. 
51.5 says, my arms will judge the peoples. That's a reference back to chapter 50 as well, where he said, is my arm too short to redeem? Here we see in 51.5 that God's arms will be what judges the peoples of the earth. Uh, 51.6 says, my salvation will be forever. And there's no end to God's salvation. 51.6 says, my righteousness will not fail. Uh, 51.7 says, a people in whose heart is my law. God will, this is, has echoes of uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel, where God says, I will put a new heart in you. I will take out the heart of stone and put a new heart of flesh in you. 51.8, my righteousness will be forever. Uh, 51.8 also says, my salvation will be to all generations. So God is one who is able to be able to provide this kind of salvation. Now, I want to pause for a minute and say, who does this sound like will be able to achieve this? To me, this sounds a whole lot like Jesus Christ. There's all of the language in Isaiah pointing to the one who will be, the government will be on his shoulders. The government will be resting on God. That God will be able to be the one. Even in chapter 50, verse 6, we didn't read it at the time. But in chapter 50, verse 6, we had here these words. That God's, I'll read it for you, uh, the complete uh, verse. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Certainly that, that pulling at the beard was, was, uh, is a very traditional offense at that time. But when we fast forward to, to Christ as he went to the cross, this is what we see, that God gave up his back for striking. That God gave up his cheeks for spitting and hitting. That Jesus Christ would be one that would fulfill the words of this passage. That he would be the one who would come and would allow for his back to be beaten in this way. And of course later on in in chapter 53 we'll see that by those stripes on him we are healed. That Christ himself comes to be the redemption of God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says something similar to this. It says, And because of him you are in Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. There are oftentimes in Scripture these things where we see that God's redemption, his salvation, his uh, wisdom, his righteousness will come to us. This verse answers for us how that happens. That Christ himself would be those things to us. He would be our righteousness. He would be our redemption. And Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Christ becomes our redemption. Remember the Target gift card. It's, It's free to me. It's a free gift that God gives to me, but it costs him dearly. And he paid for us to be able to redeem us. So after providing this foundation upon which God's faithfulness, God's redemption comes, God warns his people not to forget his redemption or to contend with him about his redemption. In other words, you've heard that phrase, don't shake your fist at God. There's a sense here where we are to know our place in light of this redeemer. And so 51.9 goes on where there's going to be a whole list here of why we shouldn't mess with God as redeemer. Uh, The first one, it says, God cut Rahab 
in pieces. Now, my first thought was Rahab. That's the woman in the Old Testament. Many of you maybe have thought the same thing. But no, this is talking about the sea creature Rahab, which is a, which is a creature in the Old Testament that is uh, referred to similar to like what Leviathan is, the, the great beast of the land or the great beast of the sea, that God is able to uh, show his authority even over these large creatures. If you've ever seen like a big whale, if you've ever gone whale watching, Liz and I uh, have loved being able to see aquatic life uh, when we get to get to the beach. Uh, there's There's an awe to the large creatures of the sea and the large creatures of the land that help us to point towards the greatness of of who God is. 51.9 also said that God pierced the dragon. That uh, See, if you were looking for evidence that dragons do exist, that's right there in the scripture. That's, that's some of you fantasy novel people are really happy about that. All of you Lord of the Rings people and etc. Very happy that dragons are real. It says so in the scripture. I don't actually mean that, but what I do mean is this. There's a metaphor here, oftentimes in the scripture, where the dragon is referred to, uh, the Satan is referred to as the dragon. And so we see that uh, the serpent in the garden in, in Genesis 3. We, said, we see that in, in Revelation 12 uh, about the dragon and the woman. Um, we get here the picture that God is the one who is able to pierce the dragon. God is the one who is able to pierce the devil. Um, that the, the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel in, in Genesis chapter 3, that we would see that there would be a seed of Eve that would come and uh, would, would, the, the serpent would bruise the heel of the, of the, uh, the seed, but the, 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 uh, the seed of Eve would then crush the head of the serpent. That's, that's what's happening here in this Isaiah 9, uh, 51 passage as well. That 51.9 says that God is able to pierce the dragon. And of course we see that later on in scripture also. God uh, is the one who dried up the sea and made a pathway through the depths of the sea. This is fantastic reference to how God had enabled the Red Sea to be parted and for them to walk through on solid ground. Uh, God is the one who comforts. God stretched out the heavens. God laid the foundations of the earth. Uh, We get a little bit of Job here. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? God stirs up the sea and God leads his armies. In other words, there's a picture painted here in in chapter 51, verses 9 through 15, that God is not one to be trifled with because of his power and authority in this world that he has created. After this, Uh, Isaiah 51 moves to a section that talks a little bit more about what God's redeemed people should look like. And so we see, and this is concurrently with the the contending with God, we see God's redeemed people look like those who have returned to God in 51.11, those who are joyful in 51.11. I I think to myself when I see this, this list, by the way, that I don't oftentimes always look like this redeemed people. As I see the characteristics of what God's redeemed people look like, it's convicting to me to think to myself, well, in the midst of suffering, I'm to still be joyful? How does, how does that work? How does that work where I have God's joy in the midst of this suffering? And I think the answer from the text would be that God's presence goes with us through this suffering and enables us by his spirit to have joy, even in the midst of the, the difficult times. Uh, those who have re- uh, God's people look like those who have returned from exile. God's people look like those who are free, who live free. There's a freedom 
in walking with Christ? And one of the answers of the text here as well in terms of uh, why is it worth it to go through suffering? Uh, One of the answers from the text is that God enables us to live with freedom and with joy even in the midst of the suffering. And that it would be better for us to live in freedom and with joy in suffering than to not be in suffering and not be in freedom. Does that make sense? So God is saying, you can walk with freedom and joy even in the midst of this suffering. Uh, God's people look like those who are alive. Uh, God's people look like those who do not lack bread, do not, aren't, aren't needy for their, for their basic needs. Uh, God will provide those things. Uh, 51.16 says, God's people look like those who have God's word in their mouths. And I, I pause for a minute, minute here just to say, um, there are a few people in my life that I can look back to and think to myself, they had scripture so clearly resonating in their heart that the, the words of God were just spilling out of them at all times. And how encouraging a person like that is to be around. Somebody who is consistently sharing the word of God through their own lips is just an encouragement. You ever been around somebody like that? It's amazing to see the encouragement that can come by God's spirit and word when somebody from his people is repeating his words to one another. And I I think to myself, if I'm a redeemed person of God, I want to look like that as well. I want to be a person who where God's word is just coming out of me because I'm so thankful for God's word in my life, in my heart, in my mind. Uh, And lastly, 51.16, God's people are those who are covered by God's protection. Again, if we're looking for the upside of what it is to walk through suffering with God, this is a pretty good list right here. That God's going to protect us in the middle of it. That God's going to allow for us to have joy and walk with freedom and be alive in the middle of suffering. And that aside from him, we aren't going to experience those things. I'm, I'm sold on the benefit of walking even through suffering in the company of God. And that's what the next section will get across, is that God's redeemed people will still have to endure difficult things like devastation, destruction, famine, and sword. And I don't mean to, by the way, gloss over these things that God's people are going to have to go through. You might be sitting there in this room and thinking that, thinking that well, how does a good God allow us to still go through these things? And I think part of the reason that the passages here in Isaiah have started with a foundation of, well, God laid the foundations of the earth, is because God knows better than we do what we should go through and what we shouldn't. And sometimes that's hard for us to, to uh, accept experientially. Sometimes we, we know that, that the Bible teaches that, but that's kind of hard, of us to, hard for us to live out. Uh, but the, the, the bottom line for us here is that God knows what we need to go through in order for his purposes to be fulfilled in us. And so if there are things that you are walking through even today that are very difficult, we grieve with you that you, that you walk through it. And you're not alone in that. Uh, that is something that is common to humanity, that we suffer together. One of the things that this passage is drawing out of us is how do we respond to that as we walk in the company of Jesus and his church. God's people may still have to endure difficult things like devastation and destruction and famine and sword. And 
our sons and daughters might lie down helpless in the streets is what chapter 51 verse 19 says. We might face affliction, says chapter 51 verse 29. And in 51.23, it also indicates that God might cause us to lie down so that other people might walk over us. That seems like a pretty sad deal for God's people, right? Well, what does that mean? We saw earlier that God himself would give up his back for people to to strike for the sake of his people. There's a sense, an ethic in the Bible where we become Christ-like when we suffer with Christ. In other words, there are times that we are going to lay down our lives for the sake of others, that they might too know this God who is the Redeemer. There's a purpose of God in that, and though it costs us, In order to lay our lives down, there are times when God is calling us to do that. We won't be doing it alone. We'll have the church, and even more importantly, we'll have God. God comforts his people in 51.19. God contends for his people in 51.22. And God puts the chalice of his anger in the hand of his tormentors. In other words, God uh, is able to even allow for the actions of others to be for the good of his people. Frank addressed that a couple of weeks ago as well. That sometimes it doesn't look like what we think it will, but God might use even the people that we disagree with or are opposed to us for his purposes and for our good. Now let me close with this section that we read at the beginning in 52, 1 through 6. There's a response for God's people in how we are to live as a a result of all of this. That God's people live in the face of this sort of now and not yet reality that you've heard people talk about. That God has redeemed us, and yet we're walking through a world that is not yet fully redeemed. And so God's people are to respond like this. God's people are to be fully awake. In 52.1 it says that God's people are to awake to to live life in such a way that you are not slumbering, that you are not caught off guard, that you are sober-minded and alert, a lot of the letters in the New Testament will say, that we live and interact in this world in such a way that we are fully awake. God's people will clothe themselves in God's strength, and God's people will put on the new garments of God. I love the language there, and and we'll just let the, uh, the pastor mustache shirts be a reminder of that today, that if you put on a new pastor mustache shirt, you are putting on the new garments of God, metaphorically. The idea is that we are, are to put off the old self and put on the new self of Christ. That, that we are to take off the, old, the old, old person and put on the new person, the new creation in Christ. The, those idea of garments uh, are, are, is a theme that goes throughout Scripture as well. And I think also especially of Ephesians uh, that talks about putting on the full armor of God. That if we're going to be prepared to walk through suffering with the company of God and his people, that we're going to want to put on that full armor of God that's going to enable us to be able to walk in that manner. God's people are also going to be people who are to shake out the dust of their, of their feet. That's a, that's a reference that comes up in Scripture multiple places as well. And the idea behind that is that there are going to be some things from the journey that we have been on that we're not to take with us any further. And the, the invitation to shake out the dust from our feet is to say, this dirt is not coming with us where God is bringing us. 
And some of us in this room need that encouragement today as well. That there are things in our lives that we're going to have to leave behind as we walk with obedience with God and with his people. And so we shake out the dust saying that these are things that aren't going to come with me into what God is leading me to. And there's also this reference in 52.2. I love this because of the way that it brings scripture together from multiple weeks in Isaiah. But it says that God's people are to release the chains around our necks. I absolutely love that imagery because we've been hearing from Pastor Frank about how if we walk in disobedience to God, that our necks are stiff. We have stiff necks. And that we actually become sort of like what the idols are that we look at. So like we become like what we fix our eyes on. We become like what we worship. So if we're worshiping the brass and wood and stone idol, we become more like that. We become more like brass and wood and stone. And you saw the imagery previously about having brass foreheads. Conversely, if we, if we fix our eyes on Jesus and we worship Jesus and we walk obediently with Jesus, we become more like Jesus. There's scripture uh, all throughout the New Testament about how we're conformed to God's image as we walk with him, even through and maybe even especially through the suffering that we face. And so we're going to be a people that, whose necks are released from the chains as we walk. It, that reason alone is enough to say, I will walk through suffering with God rather than be held as a slave to sin. That freedom that we find in Christ. And so the passage concludes in verse 3 through 6. This is what the Lord says You were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without money. That is one of the key passages of this whole uh, section of Scripture that God intends to redeem his people without paying any money for us. There's no ransom in the the sense of monetary gain for God or anybody else or for us. Rather than that, as we'll celebrate communion in a few minutes, that God will provide for our redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross for our behalf. That there's no money in the world that could pay our redemption, but rather this comes from the given blood of Christ. Verse 4, For this is what the Lord says, My people went down to Egypt first to reside there, and then the Assyrian oppressed them without reason. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people have been taken away without reason. Again the Lord declares, Those who rule over them howl, and my name is continually reviled all day long. I think that verse is also encouraging for us as we see that God's name and the image of God as created or as as manufactured by the world is oftentimes going to be something that isn't an accurate depiction of who God is. That God's name is going to be trashed, that God's image is going to be denigrated, and that we are a people who will know the truth of who God is, though the world levies all kinds of accusations and lies against him. And so God's people instead, in verse 6, it says, Therefore my people shall know my name, and therefore on that day I am the one who is speaking, saying, Here I am. In other words, God's people will know his voice. God's people will know the truth about who he is. God's people will be able to dismantle the lies that come up against God. And we will be able to see that even though life is difficult, even though there are things that we walk through, God has provided a way of redemption for his people that has come at great cost to him. And we are invited to walk with him through the suffering that we face in this world. 
My hope is that today that this passage will be for you a reminder that God has redeemed us, has paid for you with his own blood. That God has provided for you a way to walk through suffering where it won't necessarily, sometimes he may take you out of the situation, but he may also bring you through a situation with his joy, with his company, with his people in such a way that would result in your good and in his glory, though that's hard to see at the time. Next week we'll get that God comes and uh, in Isaiah 53, the suffering servant actually allows for himself to be laid down as a sacrifice that by his stripes we are healed. And as we take communion in just a minute, that will be a reminder for us that we are uh, reminding ourselves that we have been redeemed by this act of Christ laying down his life for the world. And that we, as we respond in faith, that we might take him as, at his word for who he says he is. John 16, b says this, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And may that be a reminder for each of us as we continue to walk with him, even through difficult times. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful that you have provided a way of salvation for us. And as we turn now to communion, uh, we pray, Lord, that this would be a powerful reminder of how you have provided this for us, that you have redeemed us without money. God, that you have shared and spilled your own blood that we might become your people once again. God, thank you for being faithful, for never giving up on us, for not forsaking us. I pray, Lord, if there are those in this room that do not yet know you, that they would receive you even today. And, Lord, that even now, um, as we have people praying on the sides of the rooms, that maybe there would be those that would come and would give their lives to you today who would seek to be redeemed by this salvation that you offer. God, I pray that uh, for, for those who are already believers, that this salvation or this communion time would be a reminder of the salvation that's possible in you. And God, I pray that you would bless each of the people in this room and listening to this message that though we walk through difficult times, remind us, Lord, that you have made us your own. And there will be one day where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more suffering, and that you're with us in the meantime. Help us to walk in obedience in response to this. And would you be glorified in us, your church? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we'll take communion at this time and we'll respond in worship. There will be those that will serve a communion on both sides. You can come down the center aisle a row at a time, take communion and then return to your seats. There also will be people that, were, that are praying on the sides. If you'd like prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. Let us respond in worship to this God who is our Redeemer. Amen.
Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. Our benediction today comes from 1 Corinthians 6. Reminds us, church, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your work. Glorify God in your speech and in everything you do this week. Live all of life, all for Jesus. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next week.